Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 286, founder of Bullies Meets, Robin Verrill, explains how to be part of the solution, not just talk about the problems. Robin is focused on actions that lead to positive change, giving back in meaningful ways and using your business as a vehicle to create a movement that matters. She shares important insights to help motivate people to take action and be part of the solution. This is Robin's version of Be The Drop. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. Robin, thank you so much for joining me on our next episode of Be The Drop. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. So to get us started and introduce you to the listeners, I've asked you to think about a bit of a pivotal story or a life moment and that's got you on this journey where you are now. Now, obviously, sometimes that can be quite hard because there's so many. So maybe something or a collection of things that stand out that really, you know, influenced your journey. Uh, that's a fairly easy story and I tell this a lot uh, in the fact that I started our meat business on the basis that I needed an income and I married a farmer after leaving a very successful medical sales career and we had surplus of lamb. So I did a call out on Facebook and asked if there were any families, probably about five or six years ago, close to Christmas that needed some food for free and I would deliver it. Well, the uh, manager of the um, Aboriginal dance group, Yelika, got in contact and said, I've got four ladies that need food whose children are coming up from the APY lands. So I said, oh, well, just give me their addresses if that's appropriate and I'll just deliver them. So she did. So this went on for a couple of times and she did. And so I went to this lady's house who I could see she just had a procedure and she was limping. And I just stood at the door and I said, would you like me to come in and put this on your sink? She said, yes. And then I said, would you like me to pack it? And I always carry plastic bags, gloves, masks with me so in case something happens. And then as I was packing it, she said, that would be lovely. We were talking about her grandson and all of that. And then she said, I said, oh, I've finished now and I'll leave this one here so you can cook this tomorrow night for dinner and I'll put the rest in your freezer. And she looked at me and she said, really quite bizarrely, oh, spare food. And I sort of did a double look at her and I sort of grinned because I had no idea what she meant. Well, I opened the fridge freezer Sorry, it still, it still affects me today. And there wasn't a single bit of food in her freezer. So I was giving her what she considered spare food. And never has something impacted me more than that visual of giving something to somebody and having no idea that that meant for the next three weeks she would have food. And mm. that's why I do what I do now. Yeah, and I can tell that, that that was quite an impactful thing for you. So, you know, and a profound moment, and these those moments, isn't it, that really mm. touch you and obviously it's still impactful for you. 
but it's motivated you and driven you. So how did you take that? How do you take a moment like that and go, right, I'm going to do something with this? How do you use it to spur action? Um, well, it was actually a little bit easy. I've also got a mother. I was a single mother and I never had a lot of money until I got into my medical career and things like that. I got my daughter through school and I just, my mother said, the one thing you can give people if you can't give money is your time. And that is more precious than money. So I took that philosophy and I sat down and I worked out um, with the business, with what we do with Lamb, that every single order that we have, which at that time wasn't weekly, it was sporadic, we could afford, and I did the figures and gave it to my husband and said, we can afford to give at least four lambs away every 15 that we do. So I then wrote a program and then the lady and I, because she said to me not long after that, she said, I thought you were just going to be another privileged bullshit white woman and take these people addresses and never turn up. And she said, and you do. And I still deliver to those same four ladies, but I've extended it to, um, I don't care what ethnicity you are, colour, creed, I don't care. So I have a pay it forward, which I developed through our business so that anybody could nominate anybody, including themselves. I don't ask questions. I don't care. It's not my place to know. And I will deliver meat to them. And some of my really good regulars now say, if I buy half a lamb from you, I'll pay for the next one. Can you give that to somebody? So that's where we took, well, where I took the business from that point. So there comes a time where um, sometimes it's not needed, but sometimes it's needed more than I think. So we managed to be able to, square off still every week so that people who can't afford to get food can get food. Mm. And what a fabulous foundation to build a business, to build that into it, you know, obviously something that's close to you, personal, and making a difference in, in so many lives. Now, I know recently you've been going and taking food up into areas in Northern Territory and some supporting community groups up there, but there's been some some different challenges uh you know that you've had to face tell us a little bit about that well from that sort of moment back five years ago I've met another Aboriginal lady that said how can we get food good quality how can I get good quality food at a reasonable price to China and we can't get it into the Aboriginal communities it being the APY lands and up around the Northern Territory and I said, well, we could, no one's just ever asked, but we can't do it for free all the time, but we can certainly work out pricing. So she then started a business with which I'm a director because we put, she purchases land from me and then she gets it out into the community. But the biggest problem we've had is no one's accounted for 700 mils of rain in or whatever it was over the last three or four weeks. So there's no freight company going there that would going to have to bypass, go up through the top of Perth, being um, kind of Nara, drive down to Darwin and then drive down to Alice Springs. So we've had to do a call out to say, I can't get this meat into Alice Springs because they're charging almost quadruple what they charged three weeks ago. 
Mm. And so those prices will hopefully come down, though, and you will be able to get back into those communities? Yes, it will definitely come down. Um, and I do a lot of work with Food Bank. So Food Bank and I are sort of marrying because part of what I've also done with this business is met some people when we're looking to build an abattoir in Port Pirie where we will not be able to charge for the slaughter and so that reduces the meat significantly that will be able to train straight into Alice Springs so we were hoping to break ground on that at the end of this month so within six months the price of meat will go down because their Aboriginal communities in Alice Springs are currently paying $70 for 500 grams of minced meat. They're paying $86 for four loin lamb chops. Now, how is that affordable to uh, First Nations people that barely get medical services, never alone? have to decide that four lamb chops isn't going to feed 20 people or nine people in the family. So we are really working hard with Food Bank to reduce that. And Food Bank will carry the meat up for us at no cost, but they are also in the position where they have over 50 pallets of food to go into their food bank stores and they can't get anyone to, to freight it for them. Mm. and is that currently at the moment because yeah. of the freight issues yes yeah. and so that prices you know of, of mince and lamb is that to do with the shortages no, right now because that's, that's standard so that's an ongoing yep. that is like when we started the, cost prohibitive it that's is crazy <laughs> it's just inoffensive and when we started yes this, <laughs> when we started and hugely process. problematic i'm like oh it makes me feel sick actually oh yeah, well, you've got two boys so you're gonna all three your husband you imagine one lamb chop each for 86 dollars no no what, so like no. what else would Why you be able to so afford when we started this business which was just after of course just before covid or in the middle of covid um, they then, the government, it then triggered another food inquiry into the Northern Territory of food into the Aboriginal communities, which has come up with the same thing. The private people and the government people own the community shops and there's no, um, there's no law to stop them doing this. There's none. So they can charge what they like. So mm. it also um, then stimulates the fast food industry which they were great and I don't knock the fast food industry because if people can eat a burger and whatever for a dollar let them I say because it's better than being hungry but even up there their prices in the fast food section of Alice Springs is almost double what we would pay here at any outlet that we go to so I'm a firm believer in don't be the problem be the solution so we are working with a lot of people in the government up there to try and make this a permanent solution that people can afford to eat. And I think in Australia, there's just not a widespread understanding of that. I mean, I lived in Broken Hill and I worked with Indigenous communities, but I was working in education through Department of Education and Liter Literacy programs. So even though I had exposure and awareness to some of the issues, it's interesting because you just probably only come across you don't know what you don't know yep. uh, and so I think you know there just needs to be such a greater understanding like that's a huge issue how can you eat healthily how can you feed a family 
that's not affordable. That's not yep. possible to do it at those prices. How, what are the biggest challenges and how do you overcome them? What have been some of the things you've had to really work hard to overcome? Uh, the biggest challenge, I think, is the racism. And it really is. And I quite happily go into these communities and I'm very privileged and I'll say that because I get invited into them because you can't get there unless you're invited into them. But I'm a upper-middle-class upper white woman who um, just I cannot see how we can't all join together to do this. Our food in this country, especially South Australia, is arguably the best food in the world. And we have so much surplus. We just do not appreciate that having a freezer full of food is spare food. And we, uh, we need to start, and this is what we're doing up in the communities, we are starting at a younger age to educate that if you've got food in your fridge, then you are wealthy. You are absolutely wealthy because you can close that fridge, that freezer, that cupboard and go, oh, I'm not going to eat that today. Whereas we actually need to teach our children what you've got is what we have. So that not only reduces the surplus of food that we throw out on a weekly basis, it actually educates our young people to go, what can I create with that food? What can I eat with that food? And so our biggest challenge really is lack of understanding and lack of education. One when you're sitting at a table and I and I do it like this when you're sitting at a table with 10 women one out of four so that's two women at your table have not eaten for 24 hours that is the statistic if you're sitting at a table with 10 of 10 men one in 10 men have gone without food for 24 hours not by choice so that's two women and one man so out of 20 people you have at least four of those people who've not eaten because they do not have access to affordable food. And that is the majority of our First Nations people, our immigrants, our refugees, you know, working with the Afghan refugees that came over when we rescued them before the fall, before the Americans pulled out. Now the girls' soccer team was great. The Australian government put them in a house and said, okay, then see you later. So I know the team working behind that to get those women fed, clothed and into jobs because we just bring them here like we do with our First Nations and we expect that, you know, you get everything because you have a, you get Centrelink and you get a grant or you get this. But as you know, working in education, it's not that simple and it's not that much money. It's certainly not enough money if you're a grandmother, and I know a grandmother, so I can speak to this, has nine children she's rearing, and they're not her own children. They are her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren um, because we're not doing enough about the drugs in this country and we're not doing enough to um, educate our young people to eat, to see something and go, okay, I can turn one lamb chop into a meal for myself instead it's just one lamb chop well I don't want that I'll just go and buy something so we're really trying to and especially in Alice Springs with Kerry to Country is the business up there 
they are really into the schools and into the communities and going around and saying, look, we can provide this, but we want you to set up a cooking school. And so we're really working at that grass level to bring the First Nations people, if they don't want to eat the meat, well, what do they want to eat? So we really have to go back to the basics of almost, if that's your culture, then we have to respect that, that you don't want to eat that sort of meat. You want to eat much like you have to respect a vegetarian or a vegan or whatever other plant-based um, diets that we have because everybody needs to eat and we can afford to do it. And that's what annoys me. And mm. when I engage with governments, they annoy me. And I say this quite openly, I'm bipartisan in my disdain for both political parties at how they ignore this problem because it's very close to homelessness, very close to unemployment. And I know, but I know that it triggered this review. Now that review of the food prices in the Northern Territory was number 11 review. Mm. So four to 7 million at a time of white people sitting there going, yeah, we, we, this shouldn't be happening, but not having a solution. So I'm, I'm coming at from the back end of the problem here I've got the solution so you fix the problem at your end so that's where we're sort of coming with this mm. so really there seems to be challenges at a whole lot of layers and I, you know but a lot of it as I'm listening to you I'm thinking you know it's how do we communicate this how do we speak these messages in ways that people without lived experience without having been there seen that um, can start to comprehend the complexity and the layers of challenges and the difficulties it's not so easy as you say it's not like here's your Centrelink payment or whatever it might be now go and, and fix the problem because you know if you've got if you're facing food prices that are unaffordable it, unless you're suddenly tripling the Centrelink payments how does that problem be solved so you know there's definitely layers of challenges but on the journey what have been the things that have really supported you what have helped you how have you faced some of these challenges um, what are the tools or the people and the networks that help you go through this you know continuing on this journey that is full of challenges one of the things that I describe myself at which is very accurate it's I'm very divisive so you're either going to like what I say or you're not. And I've got to the stage where I don't care what you think. What, and I live by this and I've lived by this for many years. What you think of me is none of my business. It's none of my business. But what I want you to do is actually try and understand that we have this problem. You are the solution. You and me and you and your family and sit down and you can say, you know, what are we doing throwing all this food out? How can we resolve what we're spending? Because when we can't increase the Centrelink, because unfortunately we're surrounded by men who believe everyone should have a job. Well, that's all well and good. But the average person won't move more than five kilometres from their home to go to a job. So when you live 100 k's out of a community into town as an Aboriginal and when you get there, they still have issues where they have signs up saying no, no Aboriginal person can enter this shop. So we need you with your beautiful children 
to teach them that racism's not okay, to stop that. And I've had these discussions at highest levels in the land. I, I am lucky enough to say that I've met the last six, seven prime ministers by making, making myself being heard. I don't enter a lot of awards or things like that, but I seem to get given them. And I will stand up there and tell you almost exactly verbatim my story the story of you know the woman sitting next to you might, or you might be that woman that hasn't eaten for 24 hours yeah so it's really about seeing the shared humanity and connecting in that yeah that's probably a really good way to do it and being empathetic you know because if you don't have empathy what do you have so um, and I, and I, as I say, I approach all politicians with this and every chance I get, I talk about that. I will ring up radio stations and say the same thing. The women that work in these stores are all middle-aged. So they're all casual and probably will ne never get another job. Where's that conversation? And even the radio announcer sort of stopped and said, I never thought about it. I said, well, why not? You know, like there is a whole generation of women probably older than me or around about my age and early mid 50s that won't ever get another job and we're actually expected to be, feel sympathetic for a big business that's made the choice you know we all have choices so I, I think we need to be more aware and that's what we're trying mm. to do and that's certainly what I'm trying to do especially around food and we are mm. we are and it doesn't matter what people say we have affordable food in this country. We just don't spread out the affordability as well as what we should. Mm. So for you in building this business and building the awareness and, you know, expanding the network, what has been some of the key things that you think has made that most effective? Like what has been some of your best tools or strategies or things you've done, you know, as far as building the business that you know, if you're speaking to somebody else who's trying to build their business, you just say, hey, this worked for me. What are some of those key things that worked for you? I always write the solution. So if you have a problem and you think about a problem, you have to have a solution. So you can't expect other people to fix your problem. So I start with a solution and then I work backwards. And then along the way, I go, who can I engage that's going to work with me to do this and who's going to be my biggest opposition with this. And I then put myself into positions either on social media, um, which is a great tool. And, and I always um, say this to people, people aren't using it. They're using it for their own businesses, whereas they're inviting, when you look at a screen, and you as a business owner, you have to remember you're inviting people in. So every time you post, it's not about having a beautiful view. It's not about having a plate full of food. It's actually about getting someone to go, what's on that plate of food and why do I like it? What is in Amelia's business? Why do I want to engage with that? And you have to be aware that everything you post that somebody likes or dislikes or comment on is your invitation to somebody into your life. So you must then feel responsible to make sure that what they see is what they get. So if they're seeing a plate of food 
it can be gotten. So if they're seeing a beautiful sunset, then that's what can be given. But you've also then got to think, thank you for coming onto my page and making a comment because without engagement in any business, be it face-to-face -face or otherwise, you don't have a business. So I put myself in positions where I'll nominate myself to go and speak at a conference. I won't have the confidence to do it and I will just do it. And standing up in front of people is still frightening after all these years. But if not me, who? And that's what I live mm. by. If it's not me, then who's doing it? Yeah. Well, and so important when building small business, you know, it is you, isn't it? You know, yeah. you're going to be there central and that you're going to know your business so intimately and genuinely. Yeah. And you've got to be real. So if you're not real, then everyone sees through that fairly quickly. In conclusion, though, I wanted to get your be the drop tip. So that's your top tip and we've sort of culminated and bringing this in together around that um, is how, what's your top tip for communication that motivates and inspires action? Well, that's a big one. My top tip, I also live by bite off more than you can chew and start chewing. So, <laughs> <laughs> and it had nothing to do with the food business because I wasn't. I was going to say, I love it. It's got, it works on so many layers because of I mean, you put the lamb tie in yeah. there. And, you know, and if you can't, yeah. if you can't get to where you want to go, just keep asking the question. And the biggest question everyone says is know why you're doing it. I say, know what you what. What are you doing? What is it that makes you tick? What is it about your business that brings people in? And what can you do every day you get up that can make somebody else's day better than yours? And that's what I teach in a lot of circumstances. Know your what, because everyone knows their why. Well, fantastic. Well, Robin, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.